Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, your host today. I'm from the WFIU WTIU newsroom. My co-host is Sarah Whitmire, the WFIU WTIU News Bureau Chief. We've been recording the show remotely since March to avoid the risk of spreading infection. Today, we're going to continue that trend. Today, we're going to be talking about the potential for a rash of evictions since the moratorium on evictions was lifted on August 14th. We have five guests with us joining us from around the, the county. We have uh, Reverend Forrest Gilmore, the executive director of the Shalom Community Center, Douglas McCoy, the Kelly School of Business, director of the Center for Real Estate Studies and the owner of Grant Properties. Efrat Pfefferman is the executive director of United Way of Monroe County. Dan Combs is a Perry Township trustee, and Tonda Radawan is the Monroe County Housing and Evictions Resource Project Director. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can send us questions there, and you can also send us questions to the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. So thank you, everybody, for joining us today. I want to start with uh, Doug McCoy um, from the Kelly School because uh, so, Professor McCoy, you uh, you know you study these kind of things. So, what what do you see coming up um, now that the moratorium has been lifted? Uh, yes, thank you very much. Um, well, first off, as an owner of property here in Bloomington, and what I have is student properties. The uh, occupancy and the collection uh, are just excellent. They really have not been uh, impacted by the uh, virus. Um, so that's helped the Bloomington economy and Bloomington landlords a lot in the student market. And that's one point I'd like to make in looking at multifamily rental housing. It's helpful to kind of divide it into different categories. And through the Center for Real Estate Studies, we have many of the largest landlords in the state involved in our program. And some of them, you know, are they have properties throughout the country. Um, so, but if, in talking to them, if you look at student rental properties, collection occupancy is excellent. If you look at what they call market rate properties, where there's really no uh, element of affordability, no element of workforce housing, just you know people paying market rate, there's no outside support. Occupancy and uh, collections are very positive. Last meeting we have, and we've been having monthly um, Zoom meetings with a lot of our constituents, they're, you know, they're up in the 95% collection rate. Where you start to see some stress is then in another category, which we might call affordable or workforce housing. But it's, it's not been, you know, all that bad in that it's probably what they're seeing is they're around 88% collection or so. Uh, now, this has been helped, of course, due to 
um, unemployment and, and so forth uh, that comes in. And then also some of these folks are already getting some subsidy or maybe on section eight or whatever. So, and, and the other point I think I'd, I'd like to make besides those different property types and seeing the stress more in the affordable workforce is the tenants that are living there. So if we're looking at, you know, students probably are largely supported by uh, student loans and or their parents. Uh, and then if we look at market rate, we're usually talking about export sector, we might call export sector jobs or white collar jobs. And if we're looking at affordable workforce uh, housing, we're probably looking more at service jobs. And we, we know pretty clearly from the virus that while a lot of folks, when you, what you might want to call export sector or white collar jobs have been able to maintain employment by turning to virtual work, uh, but the service jobs such as you know, waiting tables or what have you, uh, a lot of that stuff was, was impacted. So that's why we uh, see more of the stress in that area. We have a lot of speakers today, a lot of our panelists that deal with people who are in the area where there is the most stress. So I, I wanted to ask them what they're seeing. Let's start with Efrat Pfefferman, uh, Monroe County's United Way Executive Director. Efrat, you have a lot of um, people you have contact with regularly who need affordable or workforce housing or have no housing at all. So what's the this um, the lifting of the moratorium? What are you expecting to see? Yeah, great question. Um, we and, and to frame this, we already had half of our community struggling before this all hit. Um, one in five households in full-blown poverty, one in three in the Alice category um, where they're, they're working, uh, but often at lower wage jobs. And especially the last 10, 15 years, um, cost of living have all risen disproportionately to wages. And the, the Alice category uh, is not eligible for federal benefits. Um, so a lot of United Way's work uh, targets this population because this is where one hardship uh, can send a family or an individual spiraling into poverty. And as uh, my friend Forrest uh, often says, um, poverty is, is it's expensive to be poor. And I, hopefully he'll expound on that a little bit. Uh, and so we really need to do all that we can to keep uh, people and families from from suffering and and falling into that spiral um, in the wake of the pandemic, it it has affected individuals and and families in numerous ways, and the repercussions I think are are really yet to be fully felt uh, as the the moratorium lifts and as the um, unemployment benefits, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But right now, those have ended the the extended benefits. It's it's putting a lot of pressure on people. And so I think that's why our, our food pantries are feeling it. Uh, the utilities, along with landlords, um, are seeing those uh, delinquent accounts. And so that we have some challenges ahead of us. But I think we also have some great work to build on and uh, and take notes from from the recent months. So I'm not sure I heard you right. The Alice category is that what you said? I'm not sure what that is. 
Sorry, yeah, that's an acronym uh, for Asset Limited, Income Constrained but Employed. Okay, good. Years ago, years ago, we may have used the term the working poor. So people who are working, uh, but they're they're still struggling. They have little savings in the bank. And in, in Monroe County in the region, that's uh, one in three households. And that's, again, in addition to the one in five living in poverty. Okay, thank you. Um, let's go to Forrest next because, uh, you know, Forrest Gilmore is uh, on the um, forefront of fighting poverty in the community as well with the Shalom Community Center. So do you want to talk about what, uh, maybe expand on what Efrat was saying? Uh, sure, yeah. I, I mean, I think I think there's, you know, obviously we're experiencing a really uh, profound economic crisis that's affecting so many people, the employment rate is uh continues to be very high and that's going to put lots of people at risk of losing their homes i mean i i think uh what what afra was talking about was um just uh just the other day we helped a, a family with their um with their utilities to pay for their utilities and it was uh, we helped them with a $250, which um, which was a, a bit less than a month of their full utility, their electric bill, $330. And um, and I, I looked at my own utility bill, which is $10 a month, which could have provided for two years of, uh, of utilities. And so uh, seeing that just 23 days of support for this family and, and what something for me that would have provided uh, two years because of the solar panels on my roof, it's just a real uh, kind of making it clear that when you're poor, it's harder to get out of poverty uh, because things are more expensive. Um, and and COVID's just adding more and more to that. And on top of that, and making that really challenging for people. Um, we're, we're particularly worried about this. You know, whenever you can prevent someone from falling into homelessness, that's what you want to do. So uh, this is a full charge right now because once someone falls into homelessness, um, it doesn't get better from there. I mean, that's a uh, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible um, trauma on people's lives and and challenge on people's lives when that happens. So we want to prevent that as best we can. All right, thanks. Well, you have a lot of things we can cover uh, as the show goes along. I want to bring Dan Combs in now because Dan, as a Perry Township trustee, I mean, Township trustees do a whole range of things, um, but you know, providing assistance, uh, financial assistance on certain things is is certainly one of them. Can you talk about, you know, how you're seeing this and the kind of things, the people that you're serving and the, and the things that you're seeing? It's, um, thank you for having me on, uh, by the way. Um, the, uh, we're not at the crisis level yet. Um, we ran a um, landlord survey at the end of June for the first date of the removal of the eviction um, moratorium. And we found there were only three houses, three households within our big affordable housing complexes and market rate complexes that were on the bubble. Um, a lot of that has to do with the um, stimulus subsidy checks that came in also and this is a real concern for us is we, you know, we front loaded a lot of money coming into Bloomington and Monroe County um, amounts. I've not seen, I've been here for 34 years and I've never seen anything like this. Um, my concern isn't that today we have a crisis. 
it's that today we think we have done what we can for the crisis. The real crisis, I think, in utilities in particular, uh, people can be seven months in arrears right now, um, but they won't get their disconnect notices until the end of this month. And at that time, we anticipate a pretty good um, level of requests for assistance, um, mainly because we go back to the utility moratoriums that are put on traditionally every year, and they end in March. And then in April and May, we see utility bills that really, um, as Forrest said, it's expensive to be poor, but these bills well, you know, it's not unusual to see $1,000 request. Um, and that has to come from somewhere. The county commissioners have given us, uh, the townships, $100,000 for us to go above and beyond what we normally do. And, you know, actually, that's a little bit harder for us than you would think because we're traditionally looking at just enough to get out of crisis and try to stabilize before the next billing cycle. And now what we're able to do, if people come to see us in time, is keep the utilities on, get the bills to go away. How long that will um, keep up in September, uh, October, then, you know, when the, when the lack of federal funding and the lack of state continued state funding starts kicking in on unemployment um, and on um, business subsidies, I really anticipate some severe issues, uh, mainly because we've given so much money up front um, and people think, well, we did this once and well, yeah, we did it before the demand was there, which is, you know, good foresight. However, that doesn't mean, you know, what we've done so far is not a solution. It's really just preparatory to trying to come up with a solution. Yeah, Dan, I think what you what you describe a lot is that uh, I think there's starting to a little bit of fatigue is setting in for people because it's been a while and people are it's, you know, have maybe thought it was a sprint, but it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Right. The, you know, traditionally, we've ran our data back into the 1990s. And when a recession starts, traditionally, we see our peak demand for service about 18 months after the recession actually begins. And it's because of what you've said, you know, fatigue, whatever. But, you know, there, there is a danger um, in just putting it all out there and then moving on to the next crisis of the day. All right. So I want to bring uh, Tonda in now. Tonda Radawan is the coordinator for the Monroe County Housing and Evictions Resource Project. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Uh, sure, and thank you for um, for having me on the program. So we started this project in June of 2019, actually, um, in the Justice Building, where we were providing on-site uh, legal advice, mediation services, and then housing and social services referrals to tenants and landlords on the date of their hearing. So. Um, if a party wasn't able to um, to get uh, legal advice prior to their hearing, they could show up and those resources were available either just before their um, their hearing in the courtroom. Um, at times uh, there would be there could be a break when other hearings 
were being met and you might you might be in the hallway getting limited legal advice or even have the opportunity to mediate while the hearings were in session come back into open court and um, and present an agreement um, in front of the judge and so the whole idea of for this project was to reduce the number of ev evictions and um, and hopefully allow people to remain in their homes if that was a possibility if it wasn't a possibility then to hopefully work with the landlords and tenants could work together with agreements um, whether it's in a payment agreement or a voluntary move out agreement versus a, a court ordered eviction to keep that eviction off record, which obviously is a barrier to securing future housing. A couple of, a couple of quick follow up questions. One is your your services are free to the public? The Yes, they are. The okay. on site services are free. We're able to do that through um, the grant funding that supports our project. So we received a, um, a grant from the Community Foundation, um, actually the Monroe County United Way has also um, provided some funding when we realized in this pandemic situation that what we had assumed um, would meet the staffing needs, of course, is not nearly enough. So there was some emergency grant funding that allowed us to be um, present in the in, in eviction emergency eviction hearings. Um, but they are free services to landlords and tenants um, during the during those eviction hearings. So could you walk us through what happens if there is an eviction that is okay say I'm a I'm a person who can't pay my rent haven't paid it for several months and my landlord comes to me and said hey you haven't paid me I'm going to evict you what what happens they they have to go through the courts well, you know, I can tell you today was the first date that eviction hearings for non-payment were heard. Of course, the moratorium um, ended on the 14th. And so a lot of those hearings that had been scheduled in March um, have not been heard for non-payment, have not been heard until today. And so if you're coming to, um, to our project wanting advice, um, you just received that notice then first we see if you're interested in free legal advice. That way you can understand what your rights are, um, what the landlord's rights are. Um, and so you have a better way to be prepared um, should, should um, mediation not be an option. So after a party has legal advice, then we see if they're interested in um, negotiating some type of an agreement through, um, through CJAM Community Justice and Mediation Center. Um, the idea behind that is trying to um, come to a solution that works for both parties prior to going to, to court. Our hope would be to come up with a solution prior to a small claims eviction case even being filed. Um, and so part of that is making sure people are aware of the um, rental assistance programs to the IHCDA, um, seeing if people have um, contacted their township trustee to investigate the different um, services that might be available should they apply and, and be approved. And then also going to um, to other nonprofit agencies and organizations and towns, uh, Shalom is one of them where they might be able to get um, uh, case management or, or funding to be able to be in a better position to negotiate with their landlord. 
So there's a lot of different ways that a tenant can um, can possibly get resources, but they might not know about them. And, and we're trying to, to, to direct them to those resources that might be available. All right, today on Noon, noon Edition, we're, we're, we're talking about a potential rise of evictions in Indiana and in Monroe County. You can participate in a live chat by tweeting at Noon Edition, or you can send us questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Uh, Tonda, can you just talk a little bit more about some creative ways maybe that you've seen renters and landlords find success in working together on a payment plan or other ways to um, avoid being evicted? You named a few there, I know. Certainly. I would say that one of the most beneficial um, options that, that we've seen uh, during hearings and even prior to is um, is a voluntary surrender agreement versus a, a court ordered eviction. Um, if the parties, if, if if retention and remaining in the unit isn't a possibility, then then there's an option of an agreed move out date, um, which means that that eviction is not on um, a party's record, and and that way when they're going to look for alternate housing, um, that barrier is not there. Another success has been um, working with the mediators and coming up with the option to possibly remain should a certain amount of payment be paid. Um, that has that option um, wasn't necessarily available before the program was there, where you could um, potentially pay your arrears and and possibly pay those arrears through a a voucher from the township trustee's office or from other organizations in the community that provide that um, and, and be able to stay in the unit if those arrears are paid. Doug, I want and to get, another, oh, go ahead, Sarah. Another question that we got from Jerry, it's, it's really a two-part question and Doug, you might be in the best position to answer this, but then certainly uh, somebody else could follow up if, if need be. But the first question is, my renter's lease will be up for renewal in November. I've chosen not to renew a lease with this renter at the end of the lease. Can I do this during COVID-19? Am I required to give a reason for non-renewal? And is it okay to send a certified letter 30 days prior to the lease completion date to notify the renter in Indiana? A lot there. Um, do you, what, what do you think, Doug? Yeah, I, I uh, think it's, uh, I, I don't know of a requirement for the landlord to uh, have an obligation to renew. Um, and it, while notice is appreciated, uh, the lease is terminating. Uh, and But I may not be qualified if somebody else may know this more in detail, but I don't know of a legal requirement to uh, notify, but definitely out of just good business practices, that would be, I think, a reasonable expectation. I would say that this is a typical question um, that is that is asked of our project, um, and that would be something that type of question would be referred to one of our uh, attorneys that provide free legal advice in order to answer this question. Um, so, uh, so I would I would really suggest anybody with those types of, of queries 
to um, to contact our project and they could get free legal advice. And that was the he asked another question that just asked um, in being a landlord for my home that I rent, where can I go when I have questions about renting a home in Indiana? Is there a website or a contact agency? So um, that sounds like it would be you, Tonda. So, uh, go, go ahead. Tonda, you go first. Oh, well, I, um, I actually, when, um, when there are housing questions like that that come in, um, I tend to suggest that people look at um, the Housing for Hoosiers website that's put out by South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities. Most of my focus now with the moratorium being lifted and with um, three hearings being scheduled every 15 minutes in the courts is really to focus on providing resources to those people that are facing eviction. Um, and so I'd like to be able to to defer back to um, to 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 other people on that. Dan, um, yeah, I'd like to go back uh, touch on something uh, Mr. McCoy said very early on about there are different categories of housing, and he looked at it from the consumer end. And while we're talking about eviction specifically. Um, one of the things that I've learned is there's another way to look at that through the category of the landlords themselves. Uh, the large corporations are able to hire attorneys, accountants, whatever, and can minimize uh, damage from disruption in uh, rental payments. Where we seem to see the most aggressive landlords are very small landlords who may have a second mortgage on a property and they cannot really afford to let four or five months worth of rent back up. And I don't know if Tonda has any numbers on that. That's just our uh, maybe anecdotal experience, but uh, we always have in mind, people think that the tenant is the person who benefits from rent assistance and to my knowledge, outside of the PPP program, um, there's no program to minimize the impact on those mom and pop landlords. And they still are a factor in the Bloomington market. They have a, something that you want to add to what Dan just said? All right. Having seen uh, none, I want to, I want to ask Forrest, about the grant that you got at the Shalom Center, what's the what that's being used for, and how you can provide help for people? Yeah, we're um, we did receive a, a five hundred thousand dollar grant, which we're obviously very excited about. Which is all about rental assistance, helping people stay in their homes, um, helping them uh, you know pay their pay their uh, landlord uh, so that they can uh, make meet their rent. And it um, it's it's you can apply for it. And anyone is eligible for this fundraising. So this funding, if you've been impacted by COVID. So if COVID has impacted you economically, health-wise, you can apply for this at indianahousingnow.org. There's actually uh, three local providers that are, that are supporting, you know, this program, um, South Central Community Action Program, New Hope for Families, and Shalom are all uh, local resources that will be providing that, that um that financial assistance. 
but it's indianahousingnow.org where people need to apply. And uh, there's different programs depending on what people, how much, um, uh, what people's income is. Uh, but the minimum that someone could potentially get uh, is uh, up to $2,000 uh, over four months rent. And if your income is below 50% of the area median income, you can actually get up to six months of, of full rent, including back rent to support you. Okay. Now I'd like for you and uh, Afrat to both comment on some things that, that Dan said earlier about how, you know, we've, we've sort of met the first challenges fairly well, but the next set of challenges might be even, I'm paraphrasing Dan. So if I'm wrong, let me know. But the second, this next wave of challenges might be even more difficult. Is that pretty much yeah. what you Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll jump in. Um, agreed. And <laughs> United Way uh, launched the COVID relief fund in March. We raised 1.6 million and initially thought that we would distribute it in four phases, 30, 60, 90, 180 days. Of course, uh, we're, we're about at 180 days and we need to extend that fourth phase out further. So we do still have some funds remaining. We are also still accepting donations to the COVID relief fund. 100% of those go out into our community uh, to meet the, the needs that are evolving and changing. Uh, but United Way is also transitioning its ongoing work uh, to the recovery and resilience of our community. So the in the fall, when we launch our you know traditional annual campaign, you're going to hear the plans laid out for how we support the ongoing needs uh, that have changed uh, in recent months. So I... I I think, yeah, it, it is not by any means um, over. It is not over in 180 days, as we may have thought in, in March. Uh, this will be our focus for um, the foreseeable near future. Forrest? Yeah, just to add to that, to what Dan said, uh, back in uh, uh, 2008, when we had uh, uh, the last major recession, um, we saw a peak in homelessness start in 2010. And so... I think that's um, painful to to acknowledge, but to, to echo what he said about the numbers that he saw, that this issue um, may uh, feel like a crisis right now, and it certainly is, um, but the crisis is not necessarily going to stop, um, even if we get to resolutions around uh, COVID and the, and the situations for that. We may be looking at another year to two years or more seeing the impact of this on people's livelihoods on their on their household income on their you know ability to stay in their home some people may be uh you know using up their resources now and and over time may then start to need to come to more public resources later and and so this so this is something to focus on now but also to really keep the long haul in mind so i wanted to ask about the uh the state has been uh, talking about a settlement arbitration tool. And I, I wanted to ask just for opinions on that. Is that a good idea to try to help um, settle some of these conflicts that might arise? Dan? Did you say Dan? I did, Dan. Do, do you want to settlement arbitration tool? Is that a good? Um, I'm not really clear on that particular okay. proposal. So, 
Okay, so sorry, didn't mean to put you on the spot. Does anybody um, want to address that? How about Tonda? Sure, thank you. Um, we are eagerly awaiting what that program is going to entail. My understanding is that it may be similar to um, settlement conferences that are held um, in mortgage foreclosure actions. Um, I think that um, I'm very supportive of that our project is as well. Um, we're wondering how we're going to work in tandem with with whatever uh, that that's going to um, to however that's going to transpire. Um, anything, in my opinion, that is going to allow the landlords and the tenants to come to solutions prior to their hearing date is going to be helpful. Um, we had cases this morning where um, that, uh, that original eviction hearing was in late March, because of course, March 14th was the last date that um, eviction hearings for non-payment actually were in, front of, were in front of the bench. And so even this morning in some of the hearings that were happening, the, um, the tenants have, have remained on the property. Uh, Dan had brought up earlier, these, especially the mom and pop landlords where they haven't received um, they haven't received a rent payment in seven months, and the tenants haven't been able to find uh, alternate housing um, in those seven months. And if the state's program can assist in that manner, I think it's welcome. But we really do have to focus on some solutions because the court's docket is scheduled out. Um, the last I looked through late October um, for some of those eviction filings that are being filed now. Um, I'm really uh, dreading in a lot of ways the phone calls that um, I'm gonna continue to receive for people that are working. They are wanting to come up with a solution on their own. Um, even the landlords that are willing to work with their tenants and are eagerly anticipating approval uh, whether it's of a trustee voucher for rental assistance, the state's program that um, both Forrest, uh, Shalom, and New Hope for Families are working with. Um, everybody's just kind of waiting and hopeful that there's a solution, um, but also trying to anticipate the needs that are going to come up in, in October and November. I'm not sure if I fully answered your question. Sorry. Oh, that was fine. Uh, Thank you. If this I'm is a, a follow-up uh, question we got for Doug. And the question is, was the rent moratorium a good way to help struggling Hoosiers? Some of the things I've read have criticized the efforts, saying it allows people to accrue too much debt. Um, yeah, I would I would say, it. you know, overall it has been a good thing. It, that is definitely a possibility um, that that could be the case, but for the most part, taking that pressure off people, giving them an opportunity to continue to have stability in their home and, uh, basically to, you know, the landlord knows where they stand. The tenant knows where they stand. I think that's a lot more positive than it is negative. And kind of just around that point, if I could, it's interesting. Uh, one, one of our constituents is a very large, landlord 20 some thousand apartment units across the midwest and so forth and they proactively reached out to their 
workforce housing portfolio folks and, you know, said, we know this could be a difficult time uh, and we want to work with you. And, and it's interesting because also being exposed to commercial situations where uh, we have restaurants and so forth that have really been hard hit. And now the PPP money's running out. And I just really have admired the cooperation and kind of back to what we you'd ask about. And that, that was another type of support having the moratorium, but there's been great cooperation. I, from what I can see in is from between landlord and tenant between landlord and their bank. And also, you know, with, with the government support that's come in. So it's, it's kind of interesting, right? We, we, we have these things happening and they're really brought to light uh, because of the, the pandemic, because of the virus. But I, I think we're hearing a, a lot today that, you know, this is a problem prior to the virus and is an ongoing issue. And, and I'm with everyone else that we got to continue to, the battle the best we can realizing it's a, a longer term issue that's arguably, you know, independent of the virus. Mm-hmm. And um, a, another question we got, maybe a fraught, you can take this one, but kind of a simple question. Why is an eviction damaging on an individual when you look at uh, future housing prospects? Oh, certainly. And, and Tonda, I, I'm sure could add to this, uh, because that shows up on your record. And then um, a a landlord uh, may wish to not accept you um, in the future because of of your record. Um, Not only that, there are costs often involved with uh, eviction that maybe were unanticipated. So back to that idea of a spiral of you know, debt when uh, individuals already didn't have a cushion, um, and once you get into that spiral, you're you're paying more uh, to to finance things, and it's it's pretty hard to get out of that place. If I might, yes, the, sir. The question about the what damage does it do? Um, it's really kind of remarkable, but most of our big Section Eight or low income subsidized housing complexes actually do a credit check to um, before they allow people to sign a lease, which means that you need low-income housing because you can't afford it. You've defaulted somewhere, got a judgment, and you cannot be accepted. Um, that's the, if I mentioned that, it's on your record, but the record goes much deeper than just any random landlord looking it it is the policy of most low income and affordable housing complexes to check that um rental history and um the second thing if i might at this time the uh landlords have done that we work with have done a really good job of staying with their tenants and one of the reasons we don't have large complex um, evictions in big numbers is because we work with those complexes and companies and they refer people to us when they see trouble developing. So we're able to deal with it early and I can't speak for Forrest and I can't speak for Tonda, but my guess is they will say too, that the earlier we can get to a client, not waiting until the eviction process. Um, And, 
but getting them as these things develop, it's much easier to resolve someone who owes $800 than it is someone who owes $4,000. Um, and that's a message we need to get out to landlords that if you have a problem with a tenant, then try to get them to come and see people before court. Forrest, do you want to add to that? Or yeah, time to either one. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. We want to get people and people often rely on their own personal resources before they start turning to public resources. So often the times when we start to contact people or get in touch with people that it's often uh, really late in the game and hard to hard to help. Um, so we want people to reach out as soon as they can in order to to get support. And I, I just also wanted to just add in terms of the, you know, the impact of of, of this, you know, we, we know in our community that um, even before the COVID crisis, trying to help people uh, get a home who have an eviction to be able to rent is extremely difficult, even if their rent is fully being paid by some kind of, you know, subsidized resource. And so um, it's it's incredibly difficult. And if you have two evictions on your on your uh, record, it's almost impossible to find housing locally in our community. There was just a family uh, that I was uh, in touch with recently, um, where they have not been because of COVID and the impacts have not been able to pay their rent going back very very few months. And they're you know uh, just a new newborn baby in the household and such, and they. They are uh, in panic mode as they just got their 10-day notice to evict uh, to um, from from their landlord, and they're not knowing what to do. So obviously, we communicated with them to apply, but that's the kind of impact that we're seeing. It's not people who've chosen not to pay their rent and for some you know uh, negligent reason. These are folks who who've been hit hard by the impact of this. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their income just struggling to get by and now they're in a serious hole um, after all of these months and so the moratorium if anything gave us time to get in place resources to help families like that one this is another question we got for tonda this is from jane ann saying what should landlords or tenants do prior to filing eviction I think she's asking specifically about um, what your group would do to help. So what we would suggest um, is to uh, contact the uh, Community Justice and Mediation Center. Um, first of all, on your own, you can reach out to the other party. Communication is the key. Um, uh, Dan had mentioned this also, that reaching out to the other party and trying to come up with a solution before months pass by, before rental arrears accrue is always your best option is communication, doing what you can to come up with a solution prior to an eviction being filed. Now, obviously that is not possible in all situations, especially if you're a tenant that is behind, um, you might you know for whatever reason, it might be difficult for you to reach out to that landlord, or maybe you've tried and you haven't been successful. Um, I would say that you can get legal advice through our project and then you can reach out to attorneys and you can do this on our own without any involvement through our project either. Um, 
but to try to come up with a solution ahead of time. Because if it's left up to uh, filing with the court and a court date, that's going to be months from now. Um, as quickly as people want to resolve it through the court system, there is a, a backlog um, due to the pandemic and um, due to the moratorium. But as a lot of the previous speakers have mentioned, um, that problem was there prior to uh, prior to March. So I would suggest reaching out to the other party if you're a landlord or a tenant, and then trying to negotiate an agreement through mediation. We only have about 10 minutes to go, maybe a little less than 10 minutes. So, But if you have a question, you can send it to news at indianapublicmedia.org, and we will try to get it in. I wanted to talk to, I wanted to ask, um, I guess, Forrest, you would be good to talk to first, and Efrat, uh, Dan, really any of our panelists, but it just seems like, uh, you know, we talk a lot about poverty and the issues of poverty, and I'm not sure that people always understand, you know, the the real difficulty. I think uh, you were talking before about how it's kind of expensive to be poor, but, you know, I think about the idea that you know, you can't pay your mortgage. Well, maybe you have a car and you can't make your car payment. And we talked about utility bills and maybe you can't pay for your health insurance if you have any. So Forrest, could you just kind of talk about that cascading effect? I mean, you just did it really well there, Bob. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, but, and I think there's also um, just the impact of, I, I mean, I think it's one of, uh, all of our greatest fears is to become homeless. I think one of the reasons that there's so much stigma against people experiencing homelessness is it's because it's just one of our great terrors. We're, we're terrified of losing our homes because when you lose your homes, you not only lose the stability of the location, you lose mementos, you lose all the things that that provided for you, you lose a safe place to take a shower, you know, a safe place to sleep, a uh, place to put your car and your things and your stuff and all that, not to mention the security it provides for your family. And so it's a it's an incredibly tumultuous event. I think any of us know how hard it is just to move from one home to another. So uh, just, you know, one of the most stressful experiences out there is just moving. But to actually lose your home and not to have a place to go is just an incredibly traumatic experience. And it just gets worse from there. It doesn't get easier or better once you become homeless. It adds on top of it, you know, all other kinds of things. Trying to um, just survive is incredibly traumatic and difficult. And then trying to be able to find work on top of that, meet all the standards of the homeless services that are out there and the challenges of that, you know, when when bedtime and all the, all these kinds of things, navigating transportation, there's actually a study that shows that mental illness causes homelessness as often as uh, homelessness uh, causes mental illness, that the stress of, um, of homelessness is so severe that it actually leads people to become mentally ill because of the experience. So if there's anything we can do to prevent a person from losing their home, we need to be doing it. That needs to be priority number one is keeping people in their homes so they don't fall deeper into the challenges of, of uh, homelessness and, and extreme poverty. 
Yeah, and I, I often cite small examples um, about to illustrate this notion that that being poor is more expensive. So, you know, I have the luxury of getting in my car and driving to Kroger and filling up my trunk. Um, I could, if, if I need toilet paper, I may buy the twelve dollar, you know, big uh, case of it. Um, if I did not have a car um, and had a limited budget to work with, I may only get that, you know, one roll or two rolls and, and the per roll cost is four times greater than that bulk cost. And that's just one little example of, of what we're talking about. I also saw it in the uh, utilities world. I was with uh, CBU city utilities for many years uh, in the finance department. And um, if, if you're, if you don't have uh, the, the means to afford those small investments in efficiency, you, you're the one who um, is going to end up with that slow leak that slowly costs you more and more and more over time until it just does, maybe it finally, you know, breaks. And then, and then what do you do? And, and these are all just little examples of that. Um, I did want to just maybe draw our audience's attention to some of the other services in our community, uh, especially if, if you're a landlord and you see a tenant struggling, um, or if you're you're in that position where um, things are tight. And uh, we, we said, you know, people often use up their own resources first before turning to social services and nonprofits. Um, but right now, um, folks should prioritize paying the rent and the utilities and all of those things and turn to the help available in the community for things like food, uh, for things like diapers and baby items, um, hygiene items and clothing. Uh, there are a lot of um, organizations offering all of these supports. In fact, as we speak today from 11 to three, Hoosier Hills Food Bank out on uh, West Industrial Park Drive is doing their bi-weekly um, food box giveaway. It's about 40 pounds of food, including, you know, all healthy stuff, fresh produce and, and meat and all of that. No questions asked, uh, no paperwork to fill out. It's drive by and pick it up. Uh, so I encourage families to um, think about turning to some of those things that can save them some money that maybe they need to put into catching up on some other bills. Um, there's also resources available for mental health uh, that are free or low cost because that's another repercussion of what we've all been going through in recent months. Uh, an easy one to remember is uh, 211. Uh, if you dial that number and it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week right now, they have added a free counseling services, a free counseling service with trained professionals. Um, they're also a resource to help you navigate to any of these things, childcare, food, shelter, et cetera. And then we have organizations like Catholic Charities in town and uh, Centerstone who do sliding scale uh, mental health services. And they have adapted those things to be virtual uh, right now so that people can access them safely. That's a perfect way to come close to ending the show. But I just wanted to ask you also, Afrat, um, if there are people out there who don't necessarily need services, but they really want to help, mm -hmm. what recommendation would you have for them? Certainly. Um, of, of course, United Way preaches give, advocate, volunteer. 
So giving, um, we, we do have our COVID relief fund, as I mentioned, and, and you can get onto our website at MonroeUnitedWay.org um, and, and make a big impact in, in the lives of our friends and neighbors. Um, advocate. Uh, this, this is a time when um, you can grab information online from, from our website, National United Way, um, other organizations that are advocacy organizations, and then take that next step and contact your elected officials when um, something is being discussed that, that needs more of our voices, like um, a, a stimulus package or um, you know, a, a housing bill. And then volunteer. Uh, there are still plenty of ways to do that right now um, through an agency of your choice. And a lot of those are on the Bloomington Volunteer Network. You can look that up and go there. Uh, there's also the Mutual Aid Group, um, Monroe County Mutual Aid, that you can find on social media. There's Helping Hands, which is an app that you can download. Okay, we're, we're going to have to end it there, though. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of places to help. But thank Absolutely. you so much. No, thank you so much. Thank I want to thank our guest today. That was Frat Pfefferman, the Executive Director of Monroe County United Way, and also the Reverend Forrest Gilmore from the Shalom Center, uh, Douglas McCoy from the Kelly School of Business, Dan Combs, a Perry Township trustee, and Tonda Radawan. Monroe County Housing and Evictions Resource Project. For my co-host, Sarah Whitmire, for producers Benta Boutier, John Bailey, and Mark Chilla, engineers Matt Stonecipher and Mike, pa- Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.